Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the August 1st edition of the Life Writing Show. As you know, we do this on the first and third Saturdays of the month, uh, and this is a discussion of the various technologies that, that are lumped together under the category of life writing, which is really about how do you wake up and take adult responsibility for your life. And there are either three or, or four basic arenas. There is, there is your physical health and fitness. There's your career. There's the way you handle your finances. And there is love, loving yourself and the, your connection with, with others. And today is a very special day for me because it is my 17th wedding anniversary uh the Yay. 17th anniversary of the day that my soulmate said yes and in, in you know in in public in her in her parents home with her father officiating as he had the you know the right to do as justice of the, as a justice of the peace um and i just wanted to welcome uh tanana Reeve to the call so we can talk about these things both our personal lives and how it relates to the overall patterns of trying to create love in our lives so sweetheart uh welcome to the show and thank you thank you so very very much i wanted to say state publicly for all to hear that tanana reeve is absolutely the love of my life i i have been blessed with the quality of women that i have known throughout my entire life and t is just the icing on the cake she just is perfect for me as challenging and frustrating as, <laughs> as you can be <laughs> you hello know, I I just I can't imagine who or what would be better for me. <laughs> <laughs> you have a bad <laughs> connection. <laughs> but uh, well, floor is yours for a moment, sweetheart. Go ahead. Ditto, ditto on all counts, darling. No, <laughs> actually, we've uh, we've spent the past couple of days looking back on the beginning and how we met, and it's so useful to do that and reflect on how far you've come. You know, we were starry-eyed, like, summer campers, practically, when we met at Clark Atlanta University uh, Writing Conference in 1997, and you blink your eyes, and 17 years have gone by. And, you know, honey, you were in some ways still almost a stranger when we married, because we had a long-distance courtship, so there was a lot of faith, a lot of email, and that one, was it a $600 phone bill? <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, driving from, from, from uh, Phoenix to either Phoenix or New Mexico, I forget what, yeah. to Los Angeles along the, along the I-10. And we were just, I think it must have been Phoenix. I, it must have been it Phoenix. Was the, the because I met you. Discovery. I met yes. you uh, at, the, at Clark Atlanta University, and on the way back, I planned to stop in Phoenix, where I had a date set up with a, a lady who I had, you know, it, I was enormously attracted to. And the fun thing was that I took her out to dinner, and she, the invitation was very clearly there to spend the night, and I had absolutely no interest. You know, I, I had not made any commitment to you. We had not, you know, even said that we loved each other. But the you know within two and a half days after meeting you know we were 
sitting in the airport in in, air, in Atlanta holding hands, our heads holding together, talking about how we could build an empire together. And yeah. so, literally, you know, that's what we said. Faced <laughs> we with, could build an empire together. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we said. Faced with with that Not connection. Not ourselves or anything. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, one of the things that, that is very very important here is the fact that the, the, the night before I met you, I had come to the conclusion that, you know, I could have as much casual sex as I wanted. I could have as many casual relationships as I wanted. I had no, I had, I lost all doubt about my ability to do those things. I'd had some experiences that convinced me that I I knew exactly what the key was to be able to get as many of those things as I wanted. And I knew that that was not what I wanted. As soon as the fear or the sense of lack was gone, I then was able to ask myself, what do I really want? And what I really wanted more than anything in the world was a partner, a friend, someone I didn't have to pretend with, someone I could drop my mask with, someone who would see me, both my strengths and my weaknesses. And I, and I basically, and this is the literal truth, I literally dropped to my knees in the hotel room and said, you know, God, I'm willing to wait as long as is necessary to find the thing that I really, I really want, that I really need here. And I did not care. I did not want the fool's gold. You know, I did not want any more desserts. I wanted the main course. And mm. I think that it was a matter of as soon as I no longer was in fear that I could not have things, as soon as I realized that I could take care of all those needs myself, I did not need anything from outside me, I was free to ask, what do I really want? And what I really wanted was you. I didn't had not met you, but I knew that I wanted the things that you represented when I first met you. And, and I know that, that my, initial comp, uh, my initial impact, your initial impact on me was, you know, sweet and smart and cute and very young. And, uh, and then it was very talented when I saw the quality of your writing. So I respected your intelligence and your talent. And then it was healthfully physical, you know, watching you dance, we were doing some line dancing, you know, in, in Atlanta and just having, having this tremendous slide, amount of fun. Electric huh? slide. <laughs> the electric slide, that's right. Yeah, the electric yeah, slide. Yeah. And I was just watching you dance, and you moved like a healthy animal. And it was like, oh, okay, so her emotions and her body and her coordination, you know, are all, they're all right there. They're, everything is working. You know, I, you can tell a lot about somebody by the way they move their body and their sense of joy and so forth. So, but I did not, I did not, have the sense of loving you until I really understood how smart you were. It was when I heard you talking about how you got Stephen King to give you a cover blurb that, and how you used your, your skills, your, your job position, your ability to, to play musical instrument, your ability to look good in a tight skirt, and all the different things together. <laughs> to focus, your ability to network with Dave Barry's wife and Dave Barry, all of those things together in order to get something as simple as a cover blurb, to put your book in front of the most popular writer in the world and win his admiration. So you both were able to get the access, and then you were able to legitimately win his admiration. I sat in the audience, and I listened to you talking about that, and a chill ran up my spine. I just well, It was the, something no, I had no. never felt. Note that he's saying he was sitting in the audience because that's um, a parallel storyline that we share. I really believe that despite having had sort of a rushed breakfast one morning because I practically tackled him <laughs> after he was leaving his hotel room 
I knew my reputation as a television writer, you know, et cetera. So I was just, you know, I knew nothing about television writing and really wanted to learn. That was most of the motivation. And, yes, I had a friend who said, oh, you ought to check out Stephen Barnes. But I, I didn't think he was available. So given that, I was like, well, let me see if I can make him a mentor. And I don't remember a thing about that breakfast. <laughs> it was at Pascal's, you know, famous from the civil rights era in Atlanta, Dr. King and all the leaders used to meet there. So it was sort of a historic breakfast, but I remember nothing of it. What I do remember is watching you speak. And any of you who have heard Stephen Barnes on stage live know that he has this inner glow, love of life, love of people that just starts in his face, emanates through his aura, and can fill up a whole room. And I was in the audience watching that at work, just his heart on the stage. Um, He's the kind of man who will easily cheer up, uh, even in movies. Sorry to tell your secrets, darling. (laughs) I don't mind. It's okay. (laughs) But that's how in touch he is, sort of with that side of himself, that healer, teacher side of himself. And whatever it is, you know, it's all, it's the whole package. It's the intelligence, it's the charisma, I had just written a short story about a character who was a lot like you, strangely enough. I'd never met you, but I, I, I'd heard your name, and I, I, I kind of imagined you as this character, and you turned out to be just like this guy who would hold court. Like, people would stand around and just listen to you talk the way we stood and listened to Dave Chappelle uh, talking politics once. At a, at oh, that's a right. I remember that. Yeah, the debate between Hillary and uh, Barack. But in any case, yeah, it was that kind of impact. So it made, and, and over the course, and it was just a weekend, and I was a newspaper columnist. I'd only published one novel, so I was still working full-time. And I'd written about so-called love at first sight, and I thought it was hokey. <laughs> you know, it's like, how in the world can you love someone that you just met? And it wasn't literally love at first sight, because it was that unmemorable breakfast we had. But, but it was love at first exposure in terms of seeing him on the stage, getting a bigger sense of who he was, what he believed, how he thought. And we had both done preparatory work. You know, like I just told you last night, honey, if, uh, if I had not done that work, if I had not been celibate for a year, for example, if I had not taken therapy, frankly, I, I, I had issues I needed to work out. I was like the character in Trainwreck that Amy Schumer plays. Um, I, I was intimacy phobic, and if I had seen you looking at me with that light in your eyes without having done that work, I would have found a way to push you away. Would you but talk to us a little bit more about that? I mean, you you shared the, you shared some of this in the course that we did, the Soulmate Process, which you know is is available at soulmateprocess.com. But let's give you know, would you just give people kind of a free short statement on what was the work that you did and why did you need to do it? Well, you know, it's so interesting because watching Trainwreck and the whole idea of like how awkward it is, people spending the night. I never had people spend the night. Um, I was awkward with cuddling and that sort of thing, that trying to sort of draw these clear lines between a sexual relationship and an intimate relationship. With, you know, if I have three pieces I put together, it feels like a whole the person I have a crush on from afar, I can't have uh, the person I'm sleeping with, and my friends. And if I put all that together, I have a, pers- a, a partner. 
you know, so I was trying to do this emotional juggling act. And so I what happens if you have a partner? You know, in other words, the, what do you think was the specific fear that stopped you from wanting to put all those pieces together at one time? I guess ultimately it really is just believing that you don't deserve it. That's the bottom line. It, it can't, if, it, if it looks too good to be true, it is. Um, that was during the era I was writing my soul to keep, in fact, and I was creating uh, Dawi, who was uh-huh. sort of loosely based on experiences I'd had in dating where I thought someone was one thing, and he turned out to be something else, not because of ongoing deception like in my novel, but because I had created a kind of fantasy about who the person was. <laughs> and then I, the, the reality disappointed me when, in fact, all of the red flags had always been there, and I had just chosen not to see them, which also appears in Jessica's character. She's very naive. She's been in denial about what is right in front of her. So all oh, those please, things- please, 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 let's drill down just a little bit deeper. I think you've said something really, really valuable there. You said that you basically was you could not trust your own judgment. How do you learn to trust your own judgment? Well, for me, I had to sort of take drastic measures because, you know, a lot of young women growing up, when you're dating, you're dealing with issues of sexuality. Uh, sometimes young women feel an obligation to the erection, which, you know. Which, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I made that. I have to deal with it. That's right. <laughs> right, which is ridiculous. But, you know, sometimes it's what we feel like, oh, well, you know, he's expecting to have sex. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not going to say the decision was always that cavalier, but I was not being picky and choosy. I was not treating my sexuality as precious. And it was as often precious. Leading, yeah, it was not precious. It was leading yes. to moments of awkwardness, it was leading to further emotional walls because you have to sort of erect even stronger walls when you're having sex of it that you're not feeling anything for someone who's not feeling anything well, for you. Well, isn't that tricky? How do you feel something and not feel it at the same time? How do you uh, separate yourself out so you can feel and not feel? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, healthily, you can't. That's the problem. I was, I was in a very unhealthy place emotionally about a year before we met. And as a result of that, I decided I could not trust myself to make decisions about relationships um, and specifically about when it was appropriate to have sex. Right. So I, I gave myself a rule that I was not going to have sex again until I was in love with someone who is in love with me. And that's a wow. pretty high standard. Wow. How long does it take to fall in love? How long are you going to wait are you actually going to go on dates and tell people you're being celibate? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did go on dates. And I did tell people I was celibate. And, um, I, I would imagine they best. sorted themselves out rather rapidly. It was amazing how that worked. You know, this one guy I was seeing, and he knew what, where I stood, but I guess he thought he could wear me down with his charm or whatever. But <laughs> when it came right down to it, and I was like, no. Um, very soon thereafter, I heard, I think we should start seeing other people. So it, it really helped. <laughs> sort out who's serious and who isn't. Like they famously said on Sex in the City, um, those cabs that have their lights on yes. and are ready for a relationship, I was avoiding those cabs. I was meeting a lot of men who were slightly older, as you are, darling, who had previously been married, who, oh, had, well. children, <laughs> who had children from previous marriages. And those kinds of men, let me tell you, they know what they want. Right. I, and I had serious interest from a couple of men before I met you, 
and I was not ready for them. I tried to go back to one later after some work, but he moved on, you know. <laughs> but it was really, honestly, about valuing, loving myself, and having the courage to hold out for what I really wanted. And I, I passed the test about a week before I met you, you know, when I got that um, maybe we should see other people's speech, and it hurt for about five minutes. And then I was healed, and um, I met you. So, I, so that was one of the like, sort of the gates that you have to go through. I mean, if you yeah. were to take, if you were to step back from this and take a look at it, not in the terms of relationships, but in terms of the process that we have to go through in order yeah. to achieve anything that we want in our lives, we're going to be tested. Whether you're talking about physical um, things, you know, if I'm move, about to move to another level of fitness, I will actually feel fear it, in terms of of integrating new exercises into my into my program. It's the it's the strangest and most disheartening thing at times. Why am I feeling fear about doing this sort of sit-up so, uh, as opposed to that one? Or career things. You know, who do you trust? Do you trust your instincts? You know, can I move forward? What's going on? It seems to me that, that overcoming those obstacles, of facing those challenges, is part of becoming the person you need to be. In other words, who would you need to be to have a healthy relationship? What kind of person, person you, you want? want? Be the person. That's right. Be the mo, Be the, the the doppelganger. You know, the gender flipped doppelganger of the kind of person that you want in your life. You have to ha- represent the same level of values and clarity and energy and so forth, so that you feel at the deepest level. Of course, I deserve this. This is nothing unusual. This is who I am. And if you yeah, hold yourself precious, then you hold them unutterably precious. You are unutterably precious to me. Wow. Well, thank you, darling. Yeah, that had not always been the case before you. <laughs> before you, I mean. But yeah, you know, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's an it's an absolute um, journey, and for me, it felt like if I took one step toward the universe, the universe took two steps toward me. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm I'm a year or so, maybe even eighteen months into celibacy, a friend of mine from the horror writing community, Michael Morano, mentions this uh, science fiction writer named Stephen Barnes. He thinks well, I should meet. He thinks so you told, me, you told me, and you, we both took chances. We were taking big chances because you lived in Miami and I lived in oh, Washington yeah. State. We could we not have been any further apart you know, in the continental <laughs> United States. Um, no. And you told me in no uncertain terms, you, know, you open yourself. So that if I will open myself to you, if I will show you who I really am, you will be there. You know, if I jump, you will catch me. You know, you yeah. weren't going to jump first, but you let me know. If I jump, you'll catch me. And I believed you. And I was more than willing to say, I, you know, I, what I'm feeling for you is love. You know, this is, I've been around the block a few times. And what I see in you is a greater potential than I've just, I've ever experienced. And I'm not going to pretend that that's not true because I would rather have my heart broken because I know I'll get over it than pass up a chance at what might be the best thing that ever happened to me. The- well, that was, yes. Let, and let me go back to the magic for a moment. It wasn't just that within uh, probably a month and a half or two months of getting a letter uh, of invitation to go to Clark Atlanta University, which is where we met. Like just within like a short period of time before that, Michael mentioned your name. He mentioned that you had written for The Outer Limits. I had never watched The Outer Limits on Showtime. I would never seen it. So by chance, I was in a hotel room with my mother. I happened to see it was on. I said, oh, let me check this out, because if the Stephen Barnes guy writes for The Outer Limits, let me see what I think of the show. It was this amazing episode. I missed the first five minutes, missed the credits, but it was an amazing show. 
Amanda Plummer is a scientist. She invents a time machine to go back in time to kill serial killers before they can strike. I just screened it for my Afrofuturism students at UCLA, and it's just such a moving episode. It's smart and it's science. It's it's sound and it's heart space. And I I was like, oh my god, this is a great episode. I I actually called Mike. I said, listen, if if Stephen Barnes wrote for this series, I definitely want to meet him. And I described the episode, and I'm like, so that was his episode. And, and just to put it in context, it's not just that that was your episode. It's your best episode, right, darling? Um, it's considered it was probably the best. the best thing I ever wrote for television. Yeah, um, it was the best. I, I cannot think of anything that I ever did for television that was better for that. Not only that, that I had a wonderful experience of it, that they brought in an excellent director, they brought in excellent actors, yeah. the effects yeah, were good. Everything worked. And it I had a like chance to, says, to go up and watch them film it. God you know, said, look it, at look at what I have waiting for you. <laughs> because yeah, here he is. it it really it really, it really was. Here he is. Here he is. So so then the letter like immediately this letter comes from Clark and your name is on it. Our hotel rooms are right next door to each other. I mean, it was just like a string of pushing us together, pushing us. Well, pushing not us, you know, one of my one of my favorite stories, and I did not understand the the implications of it until years later. But many years ago, I attended a, a Worldcon on the on the East Coast. And after that Worldcon, Larry Niven and I went down to Florida to go swimming with the dolphins, you know, in, in, Key, in Key Largo. And so I rented a BMW, which was great, I, <laughs> and was driving down there. And I felt at one point when I'm driving, I'm driving down there, I felt something I had never felt before. It felt like there was a crosshairs on the back of my head. And I, you know, it's like a very powerful emotional reaction lasted about 15 minutes and then it, you know, it went away. I don't know what in the world that was. And I always assumed that what that was, was a a perception that somebody was directing some really negative attention towards me because I was driving that BMW. But years later, I'm in Miami and we're driving back and forth to your place. And I realized that when I got that crosshairs on the back of my neck years earlier, I was cro- I was passing the area where you lived. Yes, it, it was the strangest thing. It was like you know, and I'm not even sure whether or not it was the area where you lived ten years before. You know, when I drove past there, it was there was a uh, some sort of you know, it it would be possible for me to it, say it's total is, coincidence. It's where I grew up. It's where I grew up. Yes, I lived where there. you grew up. Where, yeah. where you grew up. So um, it, it I would have been too young for you then. Darling. Much too young. <laughs> much too young. Now we have we only have like about about six minutes before you have to get you have to go on to other things you have to do so you can get ready for this panel. What? And I'll get to be able to talk about these things even after you after you duck off. But from your point of view, what are the most important? What's the most important lesson that you can extract? from what you did and what we've spoken of over the years in terms of finding love and living a happy life. And what, what lesson do you draw from this? For me, the biggest lesson was the willingness to take responsibility and the impact of taking responsibility. You know, um, there are people who look at a movie like Waiting to Exhale and they see a collection of no good men. Yes. And instead, I saw a collection of women making bad decisions. And that's the key. You know, um, when you're single and you have a heartache, there's a whole tent full of people waiting for you to tell you, girl, he ain't shit, men ain't shit, men won't do this, or women ain't shit, women are gold, whatever. You know, we all know people who are bitter. 
Yes. And you, you can fall in with bitterness and blame the others. But I decided after a certain point to look in the mirror. You know, I couldn't assure that I would find someone. I'd had a psychic tell me that once I became who I was supposed to become, I would meet my man. And sure enough, there you were at the writing conference, the first one, <laughs> you know, the first academic writing conference I'd ever been invited to. So she was right. Uh, but it was about fixing me so that when you came along, I would be ready. You know, unlike in the movies, when a healthy person is attracted to someone who is not healthy and that unhealthy person acts out, they don't always get forgiven. You don't always get another chance because people who are trained to see those red flags know they better run fast. You can fall in love with anybody. I think that that right there, you can fall in love with anybody. (laughs) Lena Wertmiller's wonderful movie, Swept Away, was exactly about that. So you have to be, you cannot just allow your emotions to sweep you away. You can't allow your sexuality to sweep you away. You can have great sex with a wide variety of of inappropriate people. (laughs) And, and, you know, and it's intent, our bodies often have a a biological reaction to sex. You know, it's not hard to to spark that from infatuation to love to... the horror, of it, the horror of it is that a, a, abuse, there are cases of abuse and rape where the person's body responded with an orgasm. And the, oh, the amount yes. of guilt and confusion that this triggered, that person lasted decades. You know, oh, what yeah, did yeah, it yeah. mean? Sexuality is complex and it is powerful. And I, I had to learn how to be more careful with it. I had to learn how to take responsibility for my poor choices. Yes. And and when I did that, I met you. So I know it, it's not a, a magic formula. Some people are, are isolated, literally, and, and it's harder just to meet people. I had to be in a physical space to meet you. So people who are single, who don't often get out to physical spaces, sometimes are at a disadvantage. Although you can meet online. My stepdaughter met her husband online. My sister met her husband online. Um, yeah, there's a lot more of that going on right now. I was just having a discussion uh, with you know Jerry Pornell concerning the, you know, his feeling that that people are being more isolated, you know, meeting people just from their own social class and not you know not meeting people from from other classes anymore as they did you know in 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 the 50s when secretaries could marry bosses and so forth. Right, it was an interesting right. conversation, but I don't think it takes into account the amount of connection across the internet, which yeah, is can be fantastic. <laughs> it's very. And there are times I'm on social media when I realize I have the same feeling I get when I'm in flow, when I'm writing, which is my most precious state, <laughs> you know, and it's very dangerous that social media interaction can replicate oh. flow. That, that is an entire subject right there, because I've definitely noticed that, that I can get the same buzz <laughs> yes. from being on Facebook that I get from writing, and that is Isn't horrific, that because scary? nothing, you know, very little that you do on Facebook makes any actual difference to anything, Unless you're going but to it feels like it does. a book of your best status update and put it on sale at Amazon. I don't think so, you know, for the most part. Right. But, but yeah, so that same feeling can be generated with interpersonal communication online, certainly. So it's not the end of the world if you're isolated. But I do encourage people who have had trouble finding the right person to change up a little bit. Mix it up. Um, Introduce some new social environments in your life that that are natural to you. Like if you've always wanted to hike more, join a hiking group. (laughs) You know, it sounds obvious, but we don't, we often don't act on these things because we don't see sort of the wider repercussions of it. It's like, yeah, well, if I never get to the hiking group, 
I can live with that, but what if on that hiking group you had met a bunch of awesome people <laughs> who, who introduced you to a bunch of other awesome, awesome people? Well, and you one know, of those people is your soulmate. I've done a couple of different uh, surveys as well as some informal just con- talking to people and talking to people who've been married for many, many years. And the interesting thing is I'm not sure I've met one of them who dated more than 30 people before they met the person they, that they were with. Oh, that, 30, Lord, no. Yeah, I mean, so oh in other words, God. but the, what are the implications of that? The implications of that is that you might want to date one out of every 50 people that you meet. You might think, oh, that's an interesting person. Yeah. You know, and then one out of every 50 of those people would want to meet, might be interested in meeting you, right? So right. that's one out of every 250, uh, 2,500 people then is somebody who you meet who might want to meet you. I mean, I actually think that this, this, the, the numbers are much less than that. My guess is, you know, every, you know if, you, in a group of, if you're around a group of a couple hundred people, you're going to find somebody in that group that you want to date that will want to date you. And then you multiply that times 20 or 30, and you get really the practical number of people that you have to meet in order to find somebody that you could actually bond to. It's not that big a number. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of no. scary when you look at it and realize, my God, no. it's only a few thousand people. You know that, yeah. that, you, that you need to get to meet, introduce yourself to, to put yourself out to, to be, to make a presentation of who you are. These are my honest values. This is this is my body. This is my intellect. This is my emotions. You know, are, is this interesting to you? No. Move on to the next person. Well, thank you and very you know, much. Go with God. Be, you know, have a great life. Go ahead. I'm going to jump in here, and then I need to uh, jump off to uh, to finish getting ready. I'm I'm moderating the Empire Writers Panel, uh, the television yeah. show Empire at Lamar Park uh, uh, Book Fair, if anyone's local in L.A. and you'd like to come. But in any case, and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Listen, you've, given, is, you've yeah, given Elizabeth listen, and me. I love you. I love you, too. Happy and listen, I will see you in a half hour. I'm going to move on Absolutely. to Elizabeth, and we're going to talk about stuff. And I love you, sweetheart. And okay. dear, we're going to have a great day. Okay? Right, thank, thank you, babe. Okay. Bye-bye. So, Elizabeth. Yes. Yes. So, um, Let's let's broaden this discussion. Either the things that you wanted to, you know to say while we were talking, or observations you had. Just you know, lead the lead the discussion a little bit, or or help us recap. What what is it that you saw during that discussion? Uh, the biggest thing was that you both did work on yourself, and that you took responsibility. That's the awakened adult that I saw. I, I think that there is a lot in, in that. In other words, the I'd been through my marriage was coming apart with a, a woman who I love very much. You know, still love is like a, a very dear sister and, and 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 dear dear friend to me, who gave me my beautiful daughter, who I adore beyond any ability to quantify. And um, when that broke apart, then the first relationships I tried to create thereafter also went the way of the dodo. I realized that something was wrong with me, you know, that I was getting pushed into the friend zone, you know, as it were. But not for a second did I think there was anything wrong with the women involved. I assumed that I was doing something wrong. And out of that came, you know, a desperate, all right, even the pain of, of the fear of not being able to create a bond, not being able to satisfy my sexual needs with integrity, not being able to have an emotional connection that would nurture my heart forced me, all of that pain, but I also had faith that, that I, that there will be a way, there is some way to understand this. I'm, I'm off the rails somehow. I, I lost something. And so I, I spent time 
coming to some conclusions about what was going on in male-female relationships that I was able to implement in my own life. But it's like, as you said, the first step was if I'm attracted to a particular woman, I have to be on that woman's level for her to even see me. You know, that if I'm not, if, if not, and it's not even a matter of level like better or worse than, people are a lot like keys and locks. You have to fit. You know, do I fit this person? You know, can, are we going in the same direction? Do we have the same values? Do we have the same energy? Do we have the same you know, emotional healing? Am I going to drag her down? Am I going to dump my fear into her life? Will she be better with me than, than alone? You know, there, these kinds of questions. If I want to love someone, then I want to come to them with a gift. I want to come to them and say, listen, we can have a better life together. I'm not just asking her to give to me. I have to have something to give to her, you know, because so, if – go ahead. So you gave me an exercise 20 years ago, and that was I was attracted to somebody who I worked with, mm-hmm. um, and I had been single for quite a while at that point. And you told me that I needed to go and interview him, and I did. It was, it was a hard thing for me to do. Okay, slow down for just a second. The specific interview was, what are you looking for in a woman? Yeah. What are you looking for in a woman? And you try to extract that from someone who you think is a worthwhile potential partner. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and go ahead. Now, now continue. And it was, it was um, emotionally gut-wrenching in many levels. It, um, what was the fear? That I'd never be there, I'd never be good enough, um, I didn't have the basic building materials. Right. Uh, my ex-husband had done a, a pretty good number on me. Um, and it took a long time for me to heal from that. Yeah. Uh, and of this, I came up with 150 items that I thought were important. Wow. And from the discussion with this other person... Um, it was like, okay, uh, I still have those notes somewhere. Um, I'd love to see them someday. You, yeah, and as as you know, I am happily partnered with the most amazing man in the world. You country. sure are. I am. I can tell anybody who's listening that um, when Elizabeth found her her current partner, it it absolutely rolled a stone off my heart because I adore her. She's just a wonderful lady, and I also knew that there was a lot of damage from earlier in her life. And the fact that she had attracted and was holding a man who saw her as she really was and was willing and eager to partner with her, to give to her, to support her, you know, it's like it it just made me so happy because that means you have two spirits who see each other and they say, we can walk through life together. And the fact that you guys have gone on to actually build lives together you know just every time that i see that it is another inspiration to me to believe that yes this is possible this is what we actually can be the the one thing that you were talking about all the discomfort and you know what i suggest people do is you find three people married or not ideally who have come as close as possible to the ideal partner and then you ask them what are they looking for in a partner? What were they looking for in a partner? And you get that. You look for where what, every, what, every, what, every, where what everyone's saying overlaps. 
And that is the core of what it is that you're looking for. What are they talking about physically? What are they talking about intellectually? What are they talking about emotionally? And by defining that, you have then defined the direction that you need to head into. Not in order to get one of those people. That's irrelevant. Hopefully they're taken. You are... You, what you have done was you have unveiled your secret wish of who you want to be. Because on one level, being pair-bonding primates, finding a partner is hugely important. It's important for our personal survival. It's important for our genetic survival. So it, it goes in there very, very deeply. There is a part of us that wants very much to be the kind of person who can attract the people we are attracted to. And to not admit that. To not be honest about that is missing a gigantic aspect of what's going on in life. That I, I think that there are very few things, I mean, most of, a, a huge percentage of what I've accomplished in life has been a matter of wanting to earn the respect of the men I respected and wanting to be attractive to the women I was attracted to. Just in other words, can I be part of the tribe? Can I be a contributing member of the tribe? Can I be a healthy adult human being and therefore attract a healthy adult human being? And the two problems that I see are people who want to cheat, people who think, well, I'm, I don't want to do my work, but I want someone who has done their work, or someone who does not love themselves if, and, and is saying, love me even though I don't love myself. If you don't love yourself, one of the signs is, I am afraid to ask the question, what are you looking for? Because what if you tell me something that I cannot be? If you love yourself deeply, you're not going to have that fear. Because you know that the potential of who it is that you are will be attractive to someone. None of us are such special snowflakes that there is not somebody out there who is, has the same values going in the same direction. I would guess in you know, every couple thousand people, there's somebody there who you could probably partner with. And if you love yourself, then you're going to be ready, you're going to be willing to hold out for what really works for you. And, and the more time you have and the more secure you are, the, the more people you can go through to find a closer and closer and closer match until at some point, bang, it hits. It's like, wow, this works. That person looks at you. Their green light is on. Your green light is on. Let's boogie. And game on. And you have enough security to know that you can take care of yourself such that you're not afraid, what if I'm making a horrible mistake? You trust your judgment. You trust that you can survive. You're flexible, and you're ready to take a chance. Ultimately, you have to take chances in life. So you, 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 you know, this is where, come, where having dates is useful because it gives you an opportunity to calibrate. How was my judgment about this person? Was my judgment good? You know, and if it's bad, then you don't want – I mean, I, I – talk to people all the time who made judgments hastily and ended up spending 20, 25 years locked in a relationship with an inappropriate person because they're waiting for their youngest child to reach the age of 18 before they can leave. You know, so it's critical for you to refine your judgment. It's critical to take small chances so that you can calibrate and know, well, what things should I have looked at? What what are the what are the the signs I should have seen? You know what is it that that this person told me who she was, told me who he was? Why didn't I pay attention? They showed me in their behaviors who they were. Why didn't I pay attention? Why did I think I could heal them, rescue them? This, that, and the other. You have to be willing to dig deep enough that 
you're not going to be afraid of those answers. Being afraid of those answers will kill your heart. It will kill your chances of having a lasting love. The I'd like you to make one more, you know, if you have another comment on that, but then I'd, I'd like to go to the question of how do you keep, how do, what's the care and feeding of a relationship once you've got it? So is, is there anything you wanted to, to add to what I just said, Elizabeth? I just wanted to, you know, the the key for me was being okay if I never found the perfect match. Yes. And that to me, I mean, I had not given up. I had just said, you know, I am at the worthwhile human and my life will still be full if I don't have that because I have a family I have friends yes. I'm contributing to the world yes you are loved and just after that I found him and it was slow I mean our friends talked to, talked to us about being glacially slow but we built and his patience and joyousness is mine Aww. That's, there you go. So uh, let's see. I guess I'm gonna, there's one person here. There, you know, I'm going to see about a call here, and then we will go on to the next subject, which is care and feeding. Um, yes. So in Washington, D.C., there is a caller. Hello. Is there a caller in Washington, D.C.? Yes? No? Somebody might be shy. Okay, somebody's being shy. That's okay. Um and so the next question is the care and feeding part. Now, I sometimes I think about this and sometimes I don't, but I have to right now because I just got finished uh, uh, counseling a couple in emotional crisis. And um, the, the female, the, the woman in that particular couple was saying to me that now that her partner is living in the home with her, she knows everything's going to be okay. You know, it's all going to be just fine. She doesn't need to worry about that anymore. And my reaction to that is that is exactly when things start going wrong. That the instant you think that you've got it handled, that's exactly when you get it, – it's the bus you don't see that hits you. That the idea is whatever it is you did to attract that person, that's the stuff you have to keep doing. That there is a pattern. That that was their love language. You know? And if you, if you stop doing, if you stop courting them, I think that you need to pretty much take for granted that people are either falling further in love or out of love. That there's really, you know, that it, practically speaking, that's the safest thing to consider. You're either getting closer together or further apart. In actuality, people probably do orbit each other and stay, you know, in, in, in within a rough range quite a bit. But if you understand that every day you have to romance them. Every day you have to love them. In whatever language, and it's that love language thing, what is their language for I love you? You have to say that to them in their language, not in your language. That, that Do they need to be touched? Do they need to be spoken to? Do they need to be fed? Is it olfactory or, or gustatorial? You, know, you feed them a particular thing, they feel love. When you touch them in a particular way, they feel love. When you say certain things, do certain things, look certain ways, they feel loved. Whatever that is, that is their recipe, and you need to give that to them every day that it's important for, for them to love you. you know, hopefully, that's every day. You know, you're going to find you – know, and, and it's going to be difficult – Life gets in the way, and you're not always going to feel like doing this. But if you understand that if you take the position, we're either getting closer together or further apart, that there's no way, it's never static. 
if you just grasp that it's not static as a as an operating model then you're likely to seek out those things which will bring you closer together and i'd like to know from your viewpoint elizabeth what are the things what are your rituals of love within your relationship how do you and your and your your gentlemen express that to each other in a way that works you know when we're together he is always touching me uh-huh. always and uh, we will sit at the dinner table and we will hold hands walking around the block uh, uh-huh. we have when he travels or i travel we have a we we walk around the block 3000 miles apart and he makes me popcorn he makes you chocolate popcorn oh popcorn yeah and, and we walk on the phone when, and talk to each other when you when you talk to each other when you hold yeah. hands when when he serves you a favorite food how do you feel i feel joy I feel cared, loved, and cared about. Yes. And what do you do? What is his love like? How do you tell him that you love him? I text him. I touch him. I appreciate all that he does for me. And I tell him. And I also tell him when I'm stressed out and when I am hurt. And so there's that communication is something that we do together. So, and that's that is the stuff. most I think, the most important for us. What's the most important for you? The willingness to talk about it. The willingness to talk about it. So there is a that communication. How do you? What are the? What are your rules for these conversations, such that you're able to communicate honestly and and move forward? You know, and 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 reach greater levels of of communication. Do you have any rules that you use? I think the biggest one is not raising a voice in anger. Okay. You know that there is calmness, and and my partner is sometimes traveled, um, and you know we'll be three thousand miles apart, and sometimes that hurts me. I mean, I feel sad because he's not here. And and we will walk around the block 3,000 miles apart together, and I feel connected. Yes. Um, and, and he takes that care. And I try and make sure that, you know, my irrationality isn't hurting us in that. I think that that's that's beautiful. I mean, and if you've been able to to achieve that without any kind of a formal structure, then you are communicating, you know, consciously and in a loving, you know, and effective manner. I have no, nothing but respect for that. I think that there's an exercise that I used with this couple that I spoke of just you know, a little over a week ago, a little under a week ago, actually. Um, and what I did was this exercise called a talking stick. And if the couple is having real problems communicating, then it might be useful to have a third person help with this, especially if one partner is worried about verbal, being verbally dominated by the other. But the idea being that you take a stick or some object, partner A holds the object. Only partner A can talk while the object, while the only, if you're holding the object, you are the only one who can talk. You then express a thought as, you know, succinctly. 
the other person, partner B, then repeats back to you what you said. And they have to keep repeating it back to you until you agree that they have said what you said. Then and only then do you pass the talking stick to the other partner, to partner B. And then partner B gets to make a short, relatively short statement. Partner A then has to repeat back what partner B said until partner B agrees that they have it. That that, that is, yes, that is what I said. Then it's passed back and forth. What I noticed what came out of this of that process a week ago is that partner B would say something would make a simple statement in this particular case I don't feel respected you know and and I feel disrespected because of these events that happen and instead of partner A repeating back what partner B said partner A gave all their justifications for doing the things that they did all the reasons that they believed that the things they did were appropriate and I watched this, and, and partner A would do this, and partner A was very, very verbal, uh, and very, um, I want to be careful about how I say this, extremely good at expressing things on the psychological plane. Um, very, very good at it. You know, much more clever than partner B was. And as a result, was controlling the interaction. When I made it clear to partner A that they were not repeating back what was said, but rather telling us what they thought about what partner B said, what they felt about what partner B said, their justifications for doing what partner B said, partner B jumped, literally jumped off the couch and said, yes, that's it. That's what I've been trying to say. That's exactly what she's been doing. Now, I, you know, this Quite frankly, in any relationship, somebody's likely to be the more verbal. And people will cheat. I mean, they will use their, their verbal capacity to make themselves seem right, even if they're wrong. I mean, your ability to express your ideas doesn't mean your ideas are better. It means you're better at expressing them. And I, I remember Jerry Pornell making the comments that there's two basic types of argument. You know, that there is the scientific argumentation, which is about what is true, and then there is the, the lawyer's argumentation, which is about I'm going to win. And you have to be careful to determine what kind of person are you dealing with. And I think that everyone is capable of being either one of those, depending on what the, on what the situation is. And I think it's very easy for us to slide into the I'm going to win, and I'm going to listen to what you're saying, and then I'm going to attack, rather than the what is true. You know, let us find that. Let us work together here to determine what is true. And if you're coming from fear, and I think most people have some fears and some discomforts around their relationships, it is very easy to use your verbal skills, your physical presence, your financial security, your relative financial security or position, any number of other things to get what you want to club the other person into agreement because your verbal skills or your level of self-confidence is so high. Um, I try, I try very, very hard to see things from the other person's point of view. I know I don't always do it. I know I don't. But one of the things that I will do that has caught people by surprise is I will help them make their arguments. And I'll say, you, you might have missed this argument over here. You know, it's possible that, that this, that, and the other. And I, I remember once in talking to someone who was arguing with me about a social issue, and I brought something up that invalidated one of their positions, and they said, yes, I know that. And I realized 
that they knew the thing that invalidated their position, but they said it anyway. In other words, they were not being honest, honest in their argument. They just thought they could get away with it. They thought, okay, this person is too ignorant to know this fact. So you have to be very careful. It's the kinds of things that you have to look out for. Is the person arguing in good faith? I, mean, I will argue with Tanana Reef. And in our, in one of our agreements when we started working together as writers is that we have to agree that the relationship itself is never on the line that the relationship itself is never at risk, that nothing that we're ever arguing about, about our writing, uh, about uh, any business thing, ever endangers our love. Never. Ever. And that has been critical so that we can actually argue if we need to about something that we both believe in without that feeling of, oh my God, if I disagree, I will lose love. Because I think that that can be underneath arguments so easily. So it's, it's that constantly building of the connection. It's the, the starting by loving yourself. You know, with all these different things we're talking about, it just seems to me that that sort of ancient child sense of starting by loving yourself. If you love yourself, you won't be afraid that someone else might love you because you'll know you're lovable. Well, if you don't love me, somebody else will. It's like you're selling a great vacuum cleaner. If you're confident in the vacuum cleaner, if this person says, no, okay, I'm going, going, I'll go next door. You know, if I knock on 20 doors, somebody's going to say yes. You have that confidence. And being pushed into the friend zone is not, does not trigger fear. Because it's okay, you know, you only see me as a friend. That's okay. There are people I've only seen as friends. I'm sure they weren't happy about that. I'm not happy about this. But it's nobody's fault. It's just, you know, our key and lock don't fit. I'll talk to somebody else. I'll ask somebody else to dance. You know, I will knock on another door. I have confidence that who it is that I am is beautiful and wonderful. And if you don't see it, and if nobody ever sees it, you know something? I'm still going to be happy. Like you said, Elizabeth, it's the, you know you have friends who love you. You know you're worthwhile. You know you're not going to die if some particular person isn't turned on by you, isn't attracted to you. So you can afford to take a risk without it devastating you. You know, that, mm -hmm. that if we cannot afford to take risks, we will settle. And there's so many people who settle in their relationships. It's sad because I just, I just don't believe that we have to. I believe that if we love ourselves deeply, then we reach a common point of humanity and we start seeing how we're connected to all the world. And we start seeing how we could love almost anyone. And once you see how you could love anybody, then you can have the fun of, okay, well, what stuff do I want? <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. It's like, what are the goodies? You know, it's, it's, you know we could, we could, our bodies could survive on bowls of gruel, but once we understand the basic nutrients that we're looking for, now we can start pleasing our palate and pleasing our eye and all these fun things. But you understand at the core of it, what you need is, is the gruel with the basic vitamins and minerals. Once you understand that an awful lot of what we look for in relationships is the frosting, not even the cake, let alone the cake, not the, not the meat and potatoes, not the meat and potatoes, but the gruel, the basic nutrients underneath. Once you understand that, then you understand there's a game to a certain degree that we're, that we're playing. And you don't take it seriously, but at the same time, you certainly want someone who is a delight to your eyes. Tananarim is a delight to my eyes. She's a delight to my spirit. She's a delight to my intellect. I love every level of our interaction. She is way above the minimum requirements for, <laughs> for me to fall in love with. You know, but I was going to get everything I possibly could. In order to do that, I had to be willing 
to be everything I could be. I also had to, I was not looking for her. I was just being myself. It's that thing about putting yourself out there, meeting people. I was going to a public event. At that public event, I was expressing myself, not looking for a partner. Somebody in that audience of, of hundreds of people, there were several ladies in that audience who were attracted to me. It was, a, it was kind of fun you know, in that sense. There was one lady who was writing me erotic love poems and then an hour after meeting me. That was, that was kind of fun. Um, but if you put yourself out, if you love yourself enough to just be yourself, and then you allow people to see who it is that you are, and you've done your work, and you've done your healing, then some of the people who will be attracted to you will be people you'll also be attracted to. And where those two circles overlap, you then get to sit down and say, can we be together? Is there something here? It's not complicated. We make it so complicated. There's another call on the line. I want to see whether or not this person has a question. In West Washington State, we have a caller. Caller, can you hear me? West Washington State caller? Hello? Is West Washington State on the line? No? Ah, such a shame. Okay, I will once again try Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., are you on the line? Hello? Oh, I hope that our, uh, hope our phones are, are okay today. If West Washington, D.C., if Washington, D.C. is on the line, I'm interested in speaking to you. Yes? No? Okay, I guess not. Okay, so Elizabeth, um, I've done a core dump in terms of a lot of things. So what have I not covered today in terms of the things that you feel that, that, that we need to, to cover in order to make this a useful call for our listeners? I think that uh, the biggest thing is once you have found love, that you need to, to go after it every day. Not take it, not take it for um, granted. You know, as we were talking before we started recording the call about memory, and I wake up every morning with, with my partner, and he is amazing. And hmm. those days when he does not sleep with me because he's traveling or I'm traveling, those days have been really rough on me. Um, and learning to, to find mitigating um, habits, things to mitigate that damage, that, that yes. loss, and so that I am not angry with him for leaving me when I know perfectly well. And I think people get caught into the moment and not remembering why they love the person they're with. Oh, God, that is so important. I, I, I grieve when I think about my first wife, and I, I hope, I'm sure that there were times when she just did not feel that I, I held her precious. And I did not love her as much as I did, and as certainly as much as she deserved. And for anything, anything I ever did to exacerbate that sense of insecurity, I am profoundly sorry. I mean, despite the fact that I'm very happy with where I am now, she deserved to be treated like a queen. She deserved to be loved. She deserved to know at every moment that she was precious, regardless of the ultimate disposition of our relationship. That's what we all deserve to be able to look at the person that you love and see their strengths and weaknesses, see everything about who it is that they are, and to love it, to embrace it all. That they're, they're choosing to spend their life with you. They, that's all they've got. They don't have anything more than that. And if you can't honor that, if you can't celebrate that, if you can't think, my God, I am so grateful that I found you every day, then I think you need to 
to dig more deeply into yourself and find that that sense of gratitude that that we should all have every single day that we should you know generate one every single day i give thanks for my beautiful brilliant wife tanana Rebdu. i say it out loud while i'm doing tai chi i'm so grateful for for my son jason i'm so grateful for my daughter nikki i'm so grateful for my beautiful brilliant wife tanana Reeve. I'm so grateful for my sister joyce and i move out from that circle to my students and teachers and mentors and allies and just you know out but that's that's close to my heart this is this is the core of my existence is my love for myself which ultimately connects to all the universe and my sense of the divine and then manifests itself in the people around me who trust me and and orbit me or co-orbit with me and and are creating with me um that if you don't feel that level of deep, deep gratitude, I'd say just say, look deeper into yourself. Find the love within yourself. When you find that, it's it's much easier to have something to give away to others. So we've reached the end of our time here today. Any any closing thoughts that you had, Elizabeth? I just want people to exhale and, and remember <sighs> that they are worthy of love. Absolutely, 100% worthy of love. Um, if the if the attitudes about these things appeal to you, go take a look over at the Soulmate Process at soulmateprocess.com, and you can find out more about these things or personal message me on Facebook. There's plenty of free resources that you can get for this. I believe that every single human being has the capacity to love themselves, live a life that is filled with love, and find a partner to share that love with. And basically, don't settle. Stop settling and, and stop living in an illusion that you're anything other than a spark of the divine. And if you don't lose that and you're willing to work through anything that is an illusion that colors that and covers that up and is a mask over that, you'll get the things you're looking for. On the other side of everything you're looking for in life is on the other side of fear and discipline. You know, love is there and joy is there. You know, the mountain is worth the climb. Um, Elizabeth, thank you for being part of this call. And I want to thank everybody who's been on the line today. Uh, and I'd like to close our session today, as I always do, with the Sanskrit expression, especially important and, and, uh, and uh, relevant today, that the divinity within you is, uh, within the divinity within me salutes and acknowledges the divinity within each and every one of you. Namaste. Thank you so much. <laughs>